this morning's scripture reading will be from the book of Job. If you would please turn there with me. Job 42, verses 10 through 15. Job 42, 10 through 15. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And the Lord rested Job's law, restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemima, the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapuch. And the land in all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. Well, it is a pleasure to be with you this morning. Glad for you to be here, especially if you're visiting with us. We're certainly glad you're here, and we would invite you to come back at every opportunity. Uh, <clears throat> let me make one uh, small correction. I uh, misspoke when I was speaking with Clay. Brother Barry Hatcher will be coming in on Monday. I'll pick him up at the airport. He'll stay Monday night. He will uh, uh, Tuesday go down to Daresville, Georgia, uh, and the class will uh, be uh, end at whatever time, 7 or whenever it is, 8 o'clock, and then he'll come and stay Tuesday night and then leave very early Wednesday morning to go back to the airport. So uh, if you would consider that, I think he stayed with Ron last week. He'll be staying with us uh, this week. And so uh, if you could help out in that way, that would be a great benefit for all of us. Have you ever wanted more? I think we live in a society that thrives on more. Everybody wants more. People everywhere, they want more money, they want more things, they want more power. We sit in everyday life, don't we? From the billionaire who wants more money to the politician who wants more power to the child who wants more mashed potatoes. We all want more. And there's nothing wrong with wanting more as long as our more does not separate us from God. It's okay to want more. It's okay to have more as long as we do not allow that to come in between us and God. Now, a whole lot of people in the world want more. But there are very few people in the world who want more when it comes to spiritual health. We need to consider our souls, don't we? We need to consider what we want in this life and what is the more that we want. We recall the Apostle John. He uh, he prayed for Gaius in Third John. He prayed for Gaius to prosper in this life, but only as he prospered in his soul. He said this, The elder unto the beloved Gaius, 3 John 1 uh, through 2, Whom I love in the truth, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. There's nothing wrong with wanting more and prospering in this life. Nothing I love to see more than faithful Christians to do well financially, with their health, with all of those things in this life. Nothing wrong with that as long as we are prospering 
spiritually speaking, right? We don't want to place anything in between us and God. We need to place more in its proper uh, station. We need to put it where it belongs. Now, I've titled this morning's sermon, More. And what I want us to do is to look at the great man Job and understand a little bit about what more means. The good aspects of more as opposed to the bad aspects of more. In verse 12 of our passage, Brother Jeff read for us, we learned that the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than he did at the beginning. So Job received more. Now I want us to focus this morning and become interested in this word more. More is defined as being in greater quantity, amount, measure, degree, or number. Everybody likes more when it comes to something that appeals to us, right? But I want us to make sure that we understand there's nothing wrong with having more of the blessings in this life. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have more of what God has to offer. And God has has to offer a multitude of blessings in this life. Obviously, the greatest blessings are those of the spiritual nature, but He has blessed us, especially those who live in this country, far above measure when it comes to physical things. So it's perfectly acceptable to have more money, to have more power, to have more recognition. After all, Abraham was a wealthy man. Job was the richest man in the East, Job 1.3. Uh, the King James Version says the greatest man. He, no one was wealthier than Job. No one had greater influence than Job. Just think about Abraham. All the way through, uh, from his time, all the way through Christ's time, the Jewish people would call on the name Abraham. We're the children of Abraham. He had as much influence as anyone over those people. But Job had more. Because he was faithful to God in every aspect of his life. He had more in the end than he had in the beginning. Even when his physical life became less, Job still had more. He had more to look forward to. He had more to trust in. He had more to love. Now that doesn't mean that everyone who is faithful to God is going to have everything we want in this life but we will have those things that are most important. We're studying in the Revelation on Sunday morning. And those Christians in the first century had almost everything taken from them, but they had more. They had more. They had more to look forward to. They were promised a crown of life if they remained faithful. The poor beggar Lazarus of Luke 16 was destitute of anything physically in this world. He wore rags. He was just thrown down at the... At the door, the gate of the rich man, he begged for the crumbs that fell off of his table, but he had more than the rich man. And when it was all said and done in this life, and Lazarus died, he was carried by the hands of angels into the bosom of Abraham, paradise, where he began to enjoy the more. And the rich man who had more in this life physically, he just simply died and he lift up his eyes being in torments, seeing Lazarus afar off in the bosom of Abraham. You recall what he asked for. He wanted more in the physical world. You imagine he had plenty to drink and plenty to eat. He had beautiful clothing. He wanted a simple drop of water that fell from 
Lazarus' finger if he were allowed to go dip his finger in water. But he didn't have more than, than Lazarus. In fact, all who live faithfully toward God, in the end, will have more. And that more is worth, in abundance, greater than anything we can imagine in this life. You know, right now we are on the little end of something great, if we will accept it. Let's examine Job this morning. Perhaps in a new light, at least for me, I think I looked at it uh, a little bit differently. Let's understand how he how he came into the possession of more. Let's understand what he looked at. And we also need to, to comprehend that there are some things in this life that are greater than other things, right? And there are some important facts that come along with gaining more. I want us to begin this morning with, if we're going to have more, we have to walk the pathway of more. That's our first point. Now, those who get more walk a very special pathway with God, and they walk in the pathway of holiness. You know, God doesn't give more to just everyone. He gives more to those who are deserving of more. He gives more to those who live godly lives, who are in obedience to Him. We recall the parable of the talents, and when uh, uh, the Master gave the talents to uh the servants, he gave five talents to one, two talents to the other, and one talent to the last one. And when he went away, he expected them to do something and produce more talents. And he came back, and and the five-talent man had produced five more. So he had ten talents. He said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The second, ta- uh, the second man had two talents. He produced two more talents. He said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then he had the slothful servant. He had one talent. He hadn't done anything with that talent. He he buried it in a in the ground. He wrapped it in a cloth and buried it in the ground. And the master said, you didn't even take it to the money changers that you might gain some usury for me or earn some interest. You just simply buried it in the ground. So he took, the master did, that one talent and gave it to the ten talent person now. God doesn't give more to just everybody. God gives more to all faithful people. But we have to be faithful, right? Only those who live godly lives qualify for more in eternity. Paul demanded that the Corinthians change their lifestyles. This is the church in Corinth, those who had been added to the Lord's church. They were following after God and they became or found themselves in a position where they were outside of God's grace. They began to behave in such a way that did not please Him. And so... Paul demanded from them that they change their life, their lifestyles, and get back on the pathway to holiness, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16. Now that's that passage where he says, Be not not unequally yoked with someone else. He said, What does light have to do with darkness? What does uh, Belial have to do with God? And things of that nature. We have to walk in a certain path and do things according to what God's asked us to do. Oh, and then He will give us more. He'll give us more. James also wrote, James 4 verse 8, He said, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So we have to walk the pathway of holiness if we're going to have more. And those who want more, they're going to keep short accounts with the Lord, aren't they? We're not going to pile up sins, and we're not going to pile up debts 
to God. David had more because he recognized the sin in his life and he asked God to forgive him. And so we see that in Psalm 51 verse 7. God doesn't want any of us to hide behind the mask of hypocrisy, right? If we're not going to be honest with ourselves, who can we be honest with? God understands who we are. God recognizes who we are. We need to recognize who we are, right? It goes back to the to the all throughout the Bible when God asked someone a question, he wasn't looking for information. Adam, where art thou? God knew exactly where Adam was. Adam needed to understand where he was. He was outside of God's grace at that time. He had fallen into sin and he needed to take care of that, right? And so we see it on down throughout the history of man and his association with God. We see it in uh, Job's life, right? Job recognized there were things in his life that he needed to make sure he took care of when things happened. Not only for himself, but he lived during the patriarchal period of time. He was the priest for the clan. He was the head of the family. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so every morning, he made a great effort to be righteous. And he would offer a sacrifice, not for only himself, but for his children as well, Job 1.5. So to be holy, we must be honest with ourselves. We have to recognize where we stand in relationship to God. We want to walk the holy pathway. Here's how Peter described Christians. He described us as a chosen generation, 1 Peter 2, 9, a royal priesthood and holy nation. He said, we were a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We know a person uh, who is not holy can become holy, can't he? A person who is not holy can make a change in his life, can walk the holy pathway, because right after that, Peter said that uh, those he was writing this to, verse 10, weren't always holy, but they changed their lives. They got on track. Why? They wanted more. There's nothing wrong with wanting more. But to get more from God, we must walk the pathway of holiness. And that begins with walking the pathway of humility. We have to be in subjection to God. We have to think less of ourselves, right? Job humbled himself before God. Job didn't understand all that was going on. Forty-two chapters of just pure misery. And he didn't understand. He, he knew that he hadn't done anything. And he incorrectly suggested that God was the source of that happening to him when all along it was Satan. But he never turned on God. He was humble in the sight of God. All who get more will humble themselves before God and His plan. Abraham. Do you think Abraham understood fully why God would request from him to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice? Now God doesn't accept human sacrifice. He was testing Abraham so Abraham would understand that he would hold nothing back from God. That had to have been a great encouragement to Abraham after it unfolded and he saw exactly what was going on. He left that mountain understanding he had a great faith in God and he left with his son. That had to have been encouraging. We see Elijah, Peter, Daniel's Hebrew friends. They were humble. They stood before Nebuchadnezzar. He had built this great image and he told them to bow down. He would play music and they would bow down. The three youths didn't bow down. 
So they gave him another opportunity. They brought him before him and said, we're going to play the music, you bow down. If you don't, we're going to throw you in the furnace. They said, O king, we are not careful in answering you. Our God is able to save us, but if he chooses not to, we will not bow down. They were humble in the sight of God. What about Noah? Daniel. Daniel, he was thrown in the lion's den, but he humbled himself before God. He wasn't going to stop praying to God and being faithful to God just because a king made a decree. God's authority always trumps the authority of humanity. God expects all who will follow him to humble themselves, doesn't he? That's a part of the Christian life, humility and bowing down before God. See, God has provided a way of escape for us, hasn't he? Paul told those in Corinth, there's no sin that has, that, that has overtaken you that hasn't overtaken everyone. But with the sin, God will provide a way of escape. And he's provided a way of escape for us from the sin of the world. But we have to humble ourselves, don't we? We have to be humble enough to obey God's plan of salvation, whether we fully understand why He made it the way He made it. Let's let's think about that for a moment. It's fairly easy to look into the Bible and read the Word of God, isn't it? Well, sure it is. There, There are untold numbers of Bible in this country. So we're able to pick up a Bible at Walmart or almost anywhere. We could borrow a Bible, right? I'm sure there are people who would give someone the Bible. We've given away multitudes of Bibles. So we can open the Bible and we can read through that. And Paul said in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we have to have to dive into the Word of God. We have to study what God has left for us to study. And once we do that, we begin to understand that the way I'm living my life apart from God is not what He wants. He wants us to change our lives. Peter, talking about a chosen people, a peculiar people, a holy nation. They weren't always that way, but they decided to become that way. And how did they do that? Well, Jesus said, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Paul told those in, uh, in Greece as he was on Mars Hill, he said, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent, Acts 17.30. So we have to recognize and be honest with ourselves as we strive to be holy. Be honest with ourselves. I need to change what I'm doing if I'm not in alignment with what God wants. We know that is repentance, don't we? On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached that wonderful sermon. And we get to Acts 2, verse 37. And those people in attendance, some of them lifted up their voice saying, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter responded saying, Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If we're not going to repent, we can't go any further, can we? That's what God wants. So we have to be humble enough to recognize I have to change my lifestyle to fit what God wants. Repentance. We notice that Paul told those in Rome, Romans uh, 10, 10, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Well, what are we confessing? We read in Acts chapter 8 that uh, Philip taught the Ethiopian eunuch and he taught him Jesus. I believe it's Acts 8 beginning with about verse 27. He was reading from Isaiah. He said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless some man help me? So he said he began at that same verse and taught him Jesus. So the things that were, were a part of teaching Jesus 
we find out, was confessing Him as the Son of God. Remember, they, they were going along and the eunuch said, See, here's water, what does pre- prevent me from being baptized? Philip said, Thou mayest if thou believest. He said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and Philip baptized him. And what happened to the eunuch? Well, I don't know what happened to him, but a few minutes after he came up out of the water, he went on his way rejoicing because the burdens of this life had been lifted. And spiritually speaking, he was a new creature. And that's what Paul said, Romans 6, 3 and 4. We're buried with Christ in baptism. When we come up out of that water, we walk in newness of life being a new creature. So we have to understand that's a requirement, isn't it? And of course, when we look in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, it's the history of the new church, we see... Eight examples of conversion. We just talked about a few of them. But in every case, we see belief in baptism. We see repentance in baptism. We see belief, repentance, or confession in baptism. And so we understand that with all of those things that are being taught, one must be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sin. Acts 22, verse 16, is the second time that Saul, Paul, the apostle, relayed the account of his meeting the Lord on the road to Damascus. He was going down there. Now, we remember why he was going, don't we? He was going to arrest Christians, have them thrown in jail. And so on the road to Damascus, a great light shined, and Christ appeared to uh, Saul. And he said, Lord, who art thou? He said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. He said, what, what will you have me to do? He said, go into the city, and there it will be told you what you must do. And so he went into the city. God spoke to Ananias, the preacher, and he said, Go talk to Saul. He said, Now, wait a minute. Is this the same Saul who's murdering Christians? He was a little bit worried about that, wasn't he? I don't blame him. Saul had been murdering people. We read in Acts chapter 7 how he had uh, stood by and watched uh, Stephen be murdered. He said, Go ahead. You go preach to him. And so... We have three accounts, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 26, of Ananias going and teaching Saul of Tarsus what to do to become a Christian. And after he had taught him what he must do, he said, Acts 22, 16, Saul, Saul, why tarriest thou? Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. How do we call on the name of the Lord? By being obedient to His commandments, right? Now let's not forget... Acts chapter 9, we learn he had been praying for three days. He had been fasting for three days. He was showing repentance. He wanted he wanted to be forgiven. He came to the conclusion. Can you imagine the, the things that went through his mind? Not long ago, I was standing there holding the clothes of those men who stoned Stephen to death. I was consenting to his death, and he was right all along. You know how crushing that must have been? Paul carried that with him for the rest of his life. He called himself the chief of sinners because he persecuted the church. So he was repentant. We know he confessed. He did that on the road to Damascus, didn't he? Lord, what will you have me to do? He recognized Jesus for who he was. But something was missing in his life. He was still in his sin. So Ananias said, Saul, don't wait any longer. Rise, be baptized. Wash away your sin." calling on the name of the Lord. Paul had to be humble enough, if he wanted more, to submit to what God asked. Someone says, why water baptism? 
I don't have the answer as to why water baptism. He hasn't told us why he chose that method. But here's what we do know. We know what it does for us. It's our obedience to God, and as a result of that obedience, it washes our sins away. It remits our sins. We look in 1 Peter 3, 21. Peter is talking about the flood. He's making a comparison between the flood, the waters that lifted up the ark, and he said the like figure or similar example. Baptism doth also now save us. Not to wash, not to put in away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a clear conscience toward God. So what does it do for us? It's a final step into, into uh, salvation. Is it more important than belief? Absolutely not. Is it more important than repentance? Absolutely not. What about confession? No, we have to have all of it. And that shows our being. We have to be humble enough to do that. To have more, we must walk the pathway of holiness. But to have more, we must also understand the price. That's our second point. Holy or uh, more isn't free. More doesn't come cheap. And sometimes the price of more is less stuff in our lives. Less stuff in our lives. Job lost everything he valued in life, didn't he? He lost family. He lost his fitness. He lost his finances. He lost his friends. He almost lost his wife. But he continued to want more. Those things did not separate him from God. He understood they came second. Now, God doesn't expect someone in, uh, to take everything they own and just give it away and be humble and poor. He expects us to be humble. We don't have to be poor, right? Sometimes we may find ourselves poor. I've been poor, I've not been poor, you know. But God expects us to be humble and to be faithful, right? And so we have to attach ourselves to the true treasures that we have. We need to live in such a way that if we lost everything, we're not going to lose our love or our faith or, or things of that nature. We have to understand where stuff is. You know, most people in the world are in the business of getting more stuff or increasing their stuff, aren't they? That's okay. Nothing wrong with that as long as we understand it's proper place. We need to uh, put it where it belongs. Now, Jesus cautioned about seeking more to the detriment of our souls. And we read about that in Matthew 10, 17 through 22. A young man, he came to Jesus and he said, Good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him, Keep the commandments, live faithfully toward God. And he told Jesus, I'm paraphrasing, I've, I've done all that. And Jesus said, There's one thing you're lacking. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. Now, is that a commandment that we have to sell everything we've got? Give it away to the poor and follow Jesus. Well, if we're allowing that to keep us from following Jesus, it is. But see, that was peculiar to that young man because he had a lot of stuff. He was very wealthy. And he had placed his more between him and God. And that needed to, to go away. And Jesus understood that. Not everyone had to get rid of their wealth. Nicodemus was a wealthy man. He didn't have to get rid of his wealth. His friends in Bethany, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they were wealthy, but they were faithful. They didn't allow that to come between them and God. So whatever it is, uh, uh, Sunday football, right? If that's coming in between uh, God and myself, I need to get rid of it. I love to fish, but if I'm not going to be faithful to God, I need to get rid of that, right? And so we have to understand where our stuff goes. Job didn't treasure anything above God, even when he was encouraged by his wife. 
curse God and die. The price is more, the price for more is often less stuff. And it's always less self. I have to get rid of myself and not put myself above God. Again, that goes back to humility. Job was humbled and he was humiliated. Job 2, 2 through 13, because of the the things that were happening in his life. Often the biggest obstacle between someone and God is self, isn't it? Sometimes people won't look at themselves and say, I need to change something, I need to do this or I need to do that. I like the way I'm living. We we want to have one foot in, in God and one foot in the world, and it doesn't work that way, does it? God, Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and the physical world. You can't serve God in self. See, we have to serve God. Normally, self likes glory. Self likes recognition and praise. But John the baptizer, he chose less so Jesus could be more. We read that in John 3 verse 30. But by by becoming less, John received more, didn't he? We have to understand how that works. The way to become less is making sure that Jesus becomes more in our lives. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. God does not expect us to sit around 24-7 reading from the Bible. He does not expect us to travel around 24-7, 365 days a week looking for a Bible study. But He expects us to live every minute of our lives in view of Him. How am I going to live? What would God expect me to do? What has He told me? I'm going to make this choice because this is what He wants me to do. Or this is what He expects. John warned a man named Diotrephes, John, uh, 3 John 9. He said, who loveth to have the preeminence. He had more of self and less of Jesus. The price for more is not cheap. It comes at a cost. And it involves the loss of self and more of Jesus. It isn't cheap. It may cost everything in our lives. That, it, may, it may come to that at some point. It happened to those in the Revelation. It cost them their lives. But they chose to do that. If we walk the pathway of more, if we walk in holiness and humility, if we learn to pay the price of less stuff, less self, we can then enjoy the privileges of more. That's our third and last point. God has blessed His people with the provision of salvation. Those who have more in God, have you noticed they do not seem to worry so much about the world around them, the necessities of this life. And by no means am I suggesting that if we're faithful to God, we'll have all the money we ever want, we'll have all the nice homes and clothes and cars and food we'll ever want. I've been to places in this world where faithful Christians, we had to help them have something to eat that day. We had to help them with being clothed, but they still had more. But when you have more, you don't worry about this life because you know what's on the other side is so much greater. And we have to also recognize we have a part to play in that, right? Paul said, if you won't work, neither should you eat. Should we help support someone who will not help support themselves? Of course not. That's not what God expects. The Christian life is a life of of self-responsibility, right? We have to control ourselves. We have to do our parts. Jesus commanded this, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. 
He said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor, nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where was Job's heart? It was with God. And he had more. And those who have more trust in God to provide and to bless them as they work to provide for themselves. God will bless our efforts. And Jesus promised Matthew 6, 33. And I think this is special providence uh, directly associated with Christians. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Again, that doesn't mean we're going to have all of our heart's desires. But if we desire heaven and we, we lay up treasures for that, then we will have all of our heart's desires. The privilege of more is provision from God. And those who have more also enjoy the privilege of giving praises to God. There was a reason Job praised God even in the darkest times of his life. Through his darkness, he still saw the light and the glory of God. God gave Job a reason to praise him. God had blessed Job, and we can't say it's just because of his wealth, because that's what Satan said. God asked Satan, he said, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him. He said, yeah, you've built a hedge around him. You take all those things away from him, he'll curse you to your face. God said, take, take it all, you just can't touch him. Took his children, took his finances, took everything he had. He, was, he went from being the richest man in the east to being the brokest man in the east with nothing. So Satan comes back and God says, Have you considered my servant Job? Yeah, but you won't let me touch him. Boy, if you touched him physically, he'd curse you to your face. He said, Do what you will. You can't take his life. No one's been more miserable in the history of this world, in my opinion, than Job other than our Lord who suffered like no one ever suffered. What did Job do? He still praised God. Why? Was it because he was wealthy? That was gone. Because he loved God. God had provided for him and he knew that one day he could be in heaven and he would enjoy that. Those who have more will always recognize God's worth of praise. Psalm 122. David had more in this life because he recognized and he praised God and he was faithful. He had more in this life but he suffered more than most also, didn't he? We read his psalm, Psalm 122, and he says, we'll begin, and we won't read the whole thing. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He, was, he wanted to go into the house of the Lord. He wanted to offer praise to God. He wanted to be thankful and show that thankfulness. You know, life can often seem like less. None of us want less when it comes to life. Some of us look, and, and, and it just doesn't seem fair sometimes, the things that happen. But those who have more will always recognize the power and the love of God as the provider of all good and perfect gift, James 1.17. Job's house went from quietness and sadness to, to enjoyment, the sound of babies. He, he was blessed with, with a double portion of all he had. He had ten additional children. All that he lost was given back to him. And those who want more, those who have more, will always find and have reason to praise God for what He has done, even when life 
might be or seem to be destroyed. Job 1, 20 and 21. I want more of what God has to offer, and I know you do too. There's nothing wrong with wanting more. I hope we all walk the pathway of more. I hope we all consider the price of more, and I want us all to enjoy the privileges of more. And if we want more, all we have to do is simply go get it. There's plenty to go around. We talked about how to become a Christian. Those aren't my words. I'm repeating what Jesus said. He, he went through the whole process. Belief in Him, John 8, 24. Repentance of all past sins, Luke, 16, or Luke 17, 3. Uh, confession that He is the Son of God, Matthew 10, 31 and 32. Uh, immersion in water for the forgiveness of sin, Mark 16, 16. And faithful living, Revelation 2, verse 10. And we understand, in Matthew 10, 22. And we understand those same things were taught in the New Testament by the New Testament prophets. They were just simply repeating what Jesus told them. We go back to Matthew 28. Uh, we see the Great Commission, 18 through 20. And Jesus said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And that's what they did. And so we understand how to become a Christian. Sometimes we do that and we falter in life a little bit. Sometimes we get confused a little bit on what more is more important, right? Sometimes we focus too much on the things of this life and we lose the more of the most important. And how do we fix that? John 1, uh, 1 John chapter 1, John talks about walking in the light and if we sin, if we confess our faults one to another and God is just and faithful to forgive us our faults, and then we remain walking in the light, where His blood continually cleanses us. James talked about confessing faults one to another, effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, and if we commit sin in this life, we need to repent of that sin and ask God to forgive us. We need to confess it to God. I've done this. We need to own the sin and ask God to forgive us. Sometimes we have to do that publicly. If we sin in a public manner, and it's not possible to go to everyone who who has witnessed that sin or knows about that sin, we need to confess that fault one to another and also to God and ask God to forgive us. Ask a Christian brethren to forgive us. But whether uh, situation you're in now, if you've never obeyed the gospel, consider that today. If you have, you become unfaithful. Come back to Him today. Let's have more. There's plenty to go around as we stand and as we sing.